0: Why do y'all got to do that to me right before I have to preach? Do this to me every time. Um, I, I was thinking about this. Like, I, just, I so uh, appreciate this church. Uh, it's, it is a joy and a privilege to serve y'all. Um, what, what I love is that this isn't like Valentine's Day, where like once a year, if all you did was tell me you love me on, you know, during the month of October, you know, it'd feel kind of empty. You know what I'm saying? Um, I feel appreciated and loved, and our families feels appreciated and loved uh, all year, all year long. So thank you all for the way you support and love our family, uh, the way you all serve the Lord here. Uh, It is a a privilege to serve this church. So thank you all. Um, Thank you for loving Jay and Jake. Uh, I'm so thankful for our staff and for our elders. Uh, Make this so easy to serve the Lord here. And uh, um, thanks for loving our family well. uh, All right. Let's have fun. It's family Sunday. Uh, Kids, would you make some noise for me for a second? All right. (laughs) There you go. Now it's all out of the system. We can move on and everyone will be good. Hey, parents, uh, try to chill and relax as much as you can this morning. Uh, If you need to step out, feel free to do so. No judgment. This is a judgment-free zone. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation. We don't condemn you if you have to step out. We don't think you're terrible parents or any of that stuff. We just love having kids in the room uh, once in a while. So we do this every fifth Sunday about four times a year. Um, And so, uh, yeah. Love having kids in the room. Welcome to the kids. Uh, yesterday was our We Love KC picnic. Thank you so much to those of you that came out, those of you in particular that served. Uh, man, it's such an incredible picture of the gospel every time we as the body of Christ come together and serve with no uh, agenda, other than to love and show grace and kindness, and so y'all uh, did that yesterday. And I want to say thank you for the way you serve uh, again, the Lord, and in our community. Uh, yesterday was a great day. Uh, I love those those opportunities we have to serve people together. Uh, so we're in week number two of this series, Romans eight. We are looking at one of my favorite chapters, my favorite. Chapter in the Bible, in the New Testament, Romans 8. Uh, We talked about it last week as we set this up. Romans is a deeply theological book, but it's also deeply practical. It is uh, because the way that we think about God, which is theology, impacts how we live day to day, the practical day to day life that we live. Romans 8, in particular, the whole book of Romans is all about the gospel, but Romans 8, in particular, is about life. In the spirit. Ray Ortland Jr. has called it supernatural living for natural people. Uh, And I love that description of this book. So last week I used the illustration of skydiving uh, because my son Aiden turned 18 uh, a week or so ago and we went skydiving together and you know the idea that it's not a casual activity, it's not just kind of going through the motions, that's what life in in the spirit is meant to be like. You can't be casual, you can't just go through the motions, it is exhilarating in the way that we allow the spirit to have control over our lives. Now there is a contrast, all right? Having that whole experience it is temporary. Uh, the thrill lasts for only a few minutes, um, but uh, life in the Spirit is ongoing and it's, it's constant. Uh, that's probably not the best, best illustration. Some of you are like, if life in the Spirit is like jumping out of a plane, I don't want to have anything to do with it. All right, um, But the exhilaration of letting God control your life. That's the, the beauty of what we see in Romans chapter 8. Life in the Spirit. So last week we were in the first couple of verses. We saw three things. Frustration justification and liberation we saw as Andrew kind of alluded to uh, Romans 7 uh, the frustration of Paul so Romans 8 starts with this there is therefore now no condemnation that therefore refers to all the frustration that Paul is talking about in Romans 7 that I want to please God I want to honor God and yet I fail I stumble I fall and so coming out of that frustration he talks about justification there is therefore now no condemnation so this identity for those of us that are in Christ that, man, we, are, we may condemn ourselves, we may hear voices of condemnation from others or from the enemy, but in Christ there is no condemnation. He, he has taken the condemnation that we deserve, the judgment we deserve for our sin against the holy God. Jesus has taken it upon himself. We are justified. We are declared Righteous, Not by anything we do, but because he has said it to be so. He has declared us righteous. And we talked about liberation, that we've been set free. Set free from the law of sin and death by the law of the spirit of life. We've been set free by the gospel. And so we ended last week and kind of went into verses 3 and 4, where it really, man, is digging into the gospel. Let me read verses 3 and 4 real quick. Verse 3 says, For God has done what the law... Weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh... But according to the Spirit. So, what he says, the gospel is that God sent Jesus to atone for our sin, to pay for our sin, to stand in our place, to take the judgment of God for us. The law couldn't set us free from uh, from our um, from our sin. It couldn't produce following the law, keeping the law, doing good. Couldn't produce righteousness in us. Only the inbreaking Spirit of God could do that. Only the Spirit of God could set us free. And so this very last phrase kind of launches us into what we'll see this morning where it says uh, those who walk a- not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so what this passage, as we dig in today, uh, what I believe, in my opinion, this passage speaks all to is about what the Christian life is really all about. Now, let me make a statement here. Uh, if you've been in church or grown up in church all your life this may uh, cause you to tilt your head or maybe not, I don't know, but the goal of Christianity, the goal of the Christian life is not heaven. The goal is not heaven. The goal is God. The goal is God himself to to move into this intimate living loving relationship with the God of the universe, to walk with him, to to honor Him, to be used by Him, to live in a holy way as He he changes us from the inside out. It's all about the Lord. Heaven is an incredible byproduct. It's the the destination. It is the location that we will end in, and there is great hope in that. Uh, But the, the goal is God, to be in relationship with God. And if or when we treat The goal as if we treat heaven as the goal. Here's here's the problem with that. If we treat heaven as the goal, then we'll wait until we die and enter into eternity. In order that's that's how we'll treat eternal life. But eternal life begins, y'all, the moment that we put our faith in Christ. And so this relationship, this the goodness and freedom that we can experience, happens at the moment we place our faith in Christ. And so the goal. Uh, that we're talking about, the gospel makes this all possible because the spirit comes in and he empowers us for holy living. And so that's the, that's the title this morning. The spirit uh, empowers you for holy living. I want to encourage you, invite you, ask you to stand with me uh, as we read Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 3 through 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, just read, you can follow along on the screens. This is God's word, it is truth, it is life. Romans 8, starting in verse number 3. Again, Paul says this, For what God, ha- for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh And so God, this morning we do come before you. We're grateful for your word, for your truth that reveals who you are, that reveals even as we've seen in Romans 8, that you sent your son for us and to us and for our sin. God, thank you for the grace and the mercy that we've sung about this morning. God, I pray that we would continue to uh, be captivated by you and by your grace, by the truth of the gospel that we see in Romans 8 today. Lord, would you help us to see the things that we need to see? Would you convict us? In the areas where we need conviction, God, would you encourage us and challenge us where we need to be encouraged and challenged? God, help us to not take for granted the goodness of your Holy Spirit that you have sent to us. Lord, we love you. Would you speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all have a seat? Thanks for standing. The Spirit empowers you for holy living. So I'm going to go a little bit out of order this morning. Uh, I'm going to jump into kind of the middle of this passage Uh, I remember hearing years ago, uh, someone told me, a pastor, someone talked about the difference between uh, Eastern and Western thinking. We in the West, we kind of think pretty logically and um, linear, right? Like one, two, three. Uh, Eastern thinking, which, you know, the writers of the scripture uh, had this Eastern mindset where it was more circular, so that it was more process oriented. So they would have a theme and they would kind of circle around it and talk through it. And you'll see that kind of in, I believe, in Romans 8, where, you know, you see things that are repeated and it. Kind of circles around this theme, so I'm kind of I'm going to kind of take the writer's lead and, and jump around a little bit. We're going to start in verses nine through eleven, but here is the first thought I'm going to share this morning: is that you are in the Spirit if the Spirit is in you. You are in the Spirit if the Spirit. Is in you. So when Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, we talked about this last week. He's writing to uh, believers in Christ, Jewish and Gentile believers in Rome, the Roman church. He's writing this letter to Christians. And what we find in the writings of Paul here in Romans, also in 1 Corinthians in particular, uh, he, he speaks to this idea that when we come to, to Christ, it's, it's more than just changing a belief system. We're not just going from one set of beliefs to a Christian set of beliefs. It is, it is no less than that, but it is much more than just changing our beliefs. It is to become a Christian is to enter into a whole new relationship with God. And it's marked by what I would call a change of ownership. A change of ownership. Have you all ever seen maybe like a gas station or a business that, you know, they put up a new sign that says under new management? It's kind of that same idea that when we put our faith in Jesus, it's like we give up ownership over our own lives. We give it over to to God. We say, God, I am yours. I belong to to you. And there's a couple words in verses 9 through 11 that I just want to touch on. Verse number 9, there's the word in bold uh, on the screen, dwells. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. So what that means is, and Paul, again, Paul talks about this in, here in Romans and then also in First Corinthians that when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes in and takes up residency within us. He comes to dwell in us. We become his dwelling place. Right, And we, we belong to him. That's that other word that I want to focus on. He goes on to say, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the flip side of that is true. Anyone who does have the spirit of God belongs to him. All right, so the spirit comes in, takes up residency in us. There's a change of ownership that takes place. So I think of this like in terms of my own home. I am a homeowner, right? I own a home. I it belongs to me. Maybe technically it belongs to the bank, but you all know what I'm talking about. It's I'm, I'm a owner of that home. I live there. I pay the bills. I do all the stuff, the maintenance. Not really. Um, somebody else does that. Uh, but I own this home, right? It belongs to me. And so I, the thing that marks my ownership of that is I dwell there. I live there. I wish I had other dwelling places, maybe like a beach house or something like that that I didn't dwell in all the time that I could go to. Some of y'all have that. Um, That would be a blessing. Never gonna happen with a pastor unless y'all gave me a really incredible gift um, for pastor appreciation. You know what I'm saying? Uh, If y'all have a beach house and wanna put that in your will to me, um, that'd be swell. (laughs) I would love that. Uh, But the thing that marks my home, the ownership, is I dwell there. I live there. Same thing with, with Christ. When he takes ownership, Man, he moves in. The Holy Spirit moves in and takes up residency within us. You are in the Spirit if the Spirit is in you. We belong to him. Verse 10 speaks about how he's brought us from death into life. And I want to use these two kind of terms, BC meaning before Christ and IC or in Christ, okay? So I want to I just want to talk for a second about the difference in in our lives when before we come to Christ or, you know, when we are without Christ, which maybe some of you are in that place, you've never put your faith in Jesus. And for us when we come to Christ, when we are in Christ, when you're Christians. All right? So before Christ, all we have Dwelling within us is, is what we would call indwelling sin. Indwelling sin. Paul talks all about it in Romans 7 where he says, man, the frustration, the, the, the tension I'm living in is I want to please God. And yet I find that sin dwells in me. Like I can't get away from it. Uh, that it's indwelling sin, the struggle that we all understand. It's, it's in our flesh. And yet there's a reality that when we come to Christ, we still live in these earth suits and we still have to deal with indwelling the presence of indwelling sin but there's a huge change when the holy spirit comes in and takes in residence we don't just have indwelling sin that we're fighting on our own we now have the indwelling spirit of god who comes and helps us to do battle with our flesh and with sin before christ we are we are left entirely to ourselves entirely to our own resources to what our flesh can can produce what we can achieve in our own strength and, and and those are all the resources that we are left to that we depend on is our own power and our own goodness and sometimes that goes it feels like it goes far most of the time it doesn't feel like it goes far at all but when we are in christ when his spirit comes in and, and dwells us He infuses us with his glorious, incredible power, the power of the Holy Spirit who helps us to fight. Now we have the the infinite resources of the God of the universe within us to help us wage war with our flesh. And so there's this incredible difference because we now have the indwelling Spirit of God. For those of us who are in Christ, he works in us and he works through us. But there's another incredible thing. I want you to look at verse number 11 here. We talked about heaven not being the goal, but again, heaven is an incredible hope that we will one day be resurrected. We will one day be glorified. We will one day be without pain and without death and without any tears and brokenness and sin. Verse number 11, he says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, okay, so the spirit who brought Jesus out of the grave after three days, if that same spirit who raised him dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here's what Paul is saying, is that if the spirit is in you, listen, one day you will be, he will raise your your mortal body to to resurrection, to eternal life, and to a glorified body. He has the power to do that. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. So the Spirit produces life. He empowers us. He promises us resurrection at the last day. Here's my question for you this morning, and this is why I wanted to start in this place this morning in verses 9 through 11. I just want to ask you this question. Does he dwell in you. Does he dwell in you? You are in the Spirit if the Spirit is in you. Does he have ownership of you? Has there ever been a time in your life where you have surrendered ownership? You've given management over to a new boss. You've given it all over to the Lord Jesus Christ does he dwell in you? And that is one of the things that Paul hits over and over in Romans chapter eight. The mark of a believer in Christ is he he or she has the spirit of God within them. And so you are in the spirit if the spirit is in you. Let me read this quote from a guy named J.C. Ryle, old English Anglican bishop in the 1800s. He said, let it be distinctly understood that The person who does not have the Spirit does not have Christ. They who do not have Christ have no pardon of their sins. There's no forgiveness. They have no peace with God, no title to heaven, no well-grounded hope of being saved. So, y'all, we sing about being saved. We rejoice in being saved. But the, the mark of that, the guarantee of that is that we have the Holy Spirit within us. Okay, so you're in the Spirit if the Spirit is in you. Here is a second thought that I want to share this morning. If the Spirit is in you, you have new affections. If the Spirit is in you, you have new affections. Now, that is, the word affections is, again, not something we typically, that's not a word we typically use unless we talk about being affectionate of someone or something. Uh, I love that word. It's a good old Puritan word. Uh, let me read you kind of a, a definition of, of this. Um, actually, no, let, let, me, let me pause on that for a second. Um, let me talk about this, this phrase in, in verse number five. If if you can go to Romans 8, 5, it says this: For those who live according to the flesh. Set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, what you begin to see through here is Paul, there's this compare and contrast between the flesh and the Spirit, right? He's talking about these two things that are kind of doing battle with one another. Well, if you look at verse number five, there's a, a verb in verse number five in our English translation. You see what the, the verb is? For those who live according to the flesh and those who Live according to the Spirit. Now, in the original language, the Greek language, there is there's no verb there. So, some translations you'll see that um, that there's not a verb there. So, it should more literally, it could be more literally be translated this way: for those who are according to the flesh, and those who are according to the Spirit. So, what Paul does is he, in essence, says there's really two two kinds of people. Y'all ever do this where, like, I feel like we do it all the time, where we categorize people into, like, one category or another? Um, so we're like, uh, you're a Republican, or you're a Democrat, or you're a conservative, or uh, you're liberal, uh, you're a Gamecocks fan, or you're a Tigers fan, uh, you believe that the Ohio State Buckeyes are the best, or you're wrong, uh, right? So, like, we, p- we, p- we put people in categories. Hush, it's Pastor Appreciation Day. I can say what I want, all right? So... <laughs> We put people in like these categories. There's two types of people. Um, Paul says, hey, there's really only two types of people in the world. There are those who are according to the flesh and those who are according to the spirit. Those who are according to the flesh or those who are are according to the spirit. And and what he begins to like unpack here is is that our nature determines our, our mindset, our nature determines our mindset. Okay, so, so in this passage, he talks all about setting your mind on things of the spirit or setting your mind on things of the flesh. This is what I wanted to get to. What's he, what's he meaning when he's talking about setting our, our minds on, on something, our, our affections? That's, that's another word that could be used there. John Stott says it this way. Now to set the mind... On the desires of the flesh or spirit is to make them the absorbing objects of thought, of thought, interest, affection, and purpose. They absorb our thoughts and our interests, our affections, our purpose. It is a question of what preoccupies us, of the ambitions which drive us, and the concerns which engross us, of how we spend our time and our energies, of what we concentrate on and give ourselves up to. All this is determined by who we are, whether we are still in the flesh or are now by new birth in the Spirit. So this is what I mean when we talk about affections. Like what consumes our thoughts and the desires of our heart? Where do we spend the most time thinking or trying to achieve? These are our affections. And the statement I made was this. If the Spirit is in you, you have new Affections. If the Spirit is in you, he has changed your affections. If you are in the Spirit, you have spiritual uh, affections and not, not primarily fleshly, carnal affections. So what, what Paul is saying here, this is, this is not a command or a call to, to, to set our mind on spiritual things, although that is a good thing. And he he, he later on in Colossians chapter 3, we'll see it in a few minutes. He points us in that direction. He says, hey, I want you to set your mind. I want you to place your affection on those kind of things, things that honor God. But that's not what he's doing here. He's not calling us to that. He's not commanding us to do that in this passage. He is simply making a statement of reality. He says that those who are uh, according to the flesh, they set their minds, their, uh, their, their affections are caught up with things that are fleshly, that are earthly, that are self-pleasing, self-consuming, self-centered, but those who are according to the Spirit, their affections primarily revolve around spiritual things, things that are God-centered, things that please and glorify Christ. So let let me give you kind of an example. Uh, I mean, I had a pastor years ago in college, I think, who would talk about this. He would make a statement like, you know, why does a dog bark? A dog barks because it's a dog, right? It's its nature. Uh, a duck quacks because it's a duck, right? So you could, you could bark. Um, kids, feel free to bark if you want. Your parents are probably like, stop barking um, or quacking or whatever. Like, <laughs> there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Just making sure they're paying attention, all right? Good deal. Uh, so a dog barks because it's a dog. You could, you could bark, but that doesn't necessarily make you... A dog, that's not your nature, but a dog barks because that's its nature. A duck quacks because it's a duck. It's its nature. So if you follow this line of thinking here, a Christian has affections for the spiritual because he or she is a Christian, right? So the Spirit of God lives in you. And so because the Spirit of God is in you, your affections become spiritual, It is your new nature. What God has done when when the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residency is he reorients you and your whole life and all of your affections to not just be about you, self-centered. It becomes God-centered. It becomes God-honoring, God-glorifying. This is what he's talking about here. And so so I want you to think of kind of the flip side of this, this coin all right, so if your affections, what captures your attention and your heart most of the time primarily are things of, of the flesh, that may be, it may be an indication that you don't have the spirit of Christ. If your affections are always on what pleases you and not the Lord. So let me ask you this question. This is a challenging question. Where are your affections most often drawn? Things of the spirit or things of the flesh or things of the spirit? Like what? And I know in different seasons we get caught up with different pursuits. And I'm not asking this. Like how many of you never struggle with sin? How many of you never Your desires are drawn to the things that are fleshly, that are not God-honoring. No, we we saw that in Romans 7. We all deal with this, this battle. But primarily, where are your affections? Are they towards things that please only you or are they towards the Lord, things that honor and glorify him? Are your affections for God only stirred up when you are in this room or throughout your week? Where are your affections oriented toward primarily Towards things of the spirit or things of the flesh. Because here is here's the statement he makes. He says, if you, are, if you are according to the spirit, if the spirit is in you, you have new affections. It's just a statement of reality. It's a statement of truth. If you have the same old affections as you used to, if nothing's changed, you only desire the same things that please you, you might need to look in the mirror and ask God, where am I at with you? If you're in the spirit, if the spirit is in you, you have new affections. All right, here's the third thought, the third and final thought I want to share this morning. And this one can be highly encouraging and also highly challenging for us. All right, if the spirit is in you, you can win against sin. If the spirit is in you, you can win against sin. I want to read verses twelve and thirteen. Here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, So then, brothers, we are we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here is the incredible thing about this. This is what is so encouraging about What Paul is saying here is that the the indwelling of the Spirit and his continuing work in you is is what makes obedience and what makes holiness in your life possible. The fact that the Spirit is in you means you can actually obey God. You are empowered to uh, live out what he's called you to. You are able to honor him and glorify him. If you remember in the previous verses, verses 7 and 8, He says, in the flesh, you couldn't couldn't submit to the law. You couldn't even do that. You couldn't, it was even impossible for you to please God as long as you were in your flesh. You could do as many good things and as many religious things as you wanted, but you could never, ever please God in your flesh. You need the Holy Spirit to come in and take up residency in you. And, And if the Spirit is in you, You can win. You can overcome sin. I don't know if you've ever struggled with a sin. My guess is, yes, that you've struggled with something where you've said, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get over this. I don't don't know if I can ever get over this, this way of thinking or the way that I talk about this person or this thing or like my attitude in this area. Maybe you've said, I don't know if I can ever conquer this. But here is the truth, that if you are in Christ, if the Spirit of God is in you, you have all the resources you need to win in the fight against whatever sin that you wrestle with. If the Spirit is in you, you can win against sin. Like, Do you know that, that you can actually win? You don't have to live your life defeated and conquered constantly by the sin that would dominate you. He says in verse number 12, we are, he says, so then brothers, we are debtors. Anybody in this room in debt? Don't raise your hand. All right. Are you in debt? You know what it means to be in debt, right? We have an obligation. We owe somebody something, right? It's terrible to be in debt, and yet we all experience, we know what that that looks like. He says, we are debtors. Not to the flesh. In other words, we don't owe our flesh anything. It's done us no favors. It does us no good. It has no claim on us. We don't owe our flesh anything. But what is he saying here? Who are we debtors to? We're debtors to the Lord. We're debtors to the Spirit, to live in a way that that pleases Him, that honors Him. We are debtors. And he goes on in verse number 13 to say, for If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So let me say it in in this kind of way. It's kind of like, you know, as a church, we talk often about our mission statement, which is to lead others to full life in Christ, community, and mission. Full life. Jesus talks about it in John 10.10. He says, A thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life. Life abundant. Life to the full. And so our goal as a church, man, we want to help people experience full life in Christ. That chasing after earthly pursuits, man, it'll always leave you empty. It'll always leave you feeling worthless. But there is full life that is available in Christ. And what, what... Paul says here is that that we can only experience that, that kind of life, the fullness of life, if we will, by the Spirit, put to death the sin in us, the evil deeds of our body. He says this is the only way you're really gonna truly, you can be saved, you can be a Christian, you can have eternal life, but the only way you're really gonna experience full life that I've come to give you is if you will act and intentionally put to death the deeds of your body. If you will kill the sin in your life. So a couple of different biblical words, the word mortify or, or crucify, or Jesus talks about taking, taking up his cross. It all has this idea of man, we're putting to death, we're putting to death the sin in us. If the spirit is in you, you can win against sin. And so in verse number 13, this is a call to action. It is a call to do something. It is a call to be intentional. It says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, if you kill sin, if you put it to death, you will live. You will have full life. So there's a quote that I love from an old Puritan named John Owen. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. This is exactly what Paul is saying here. Is that we have to actively seek to put our sin to death. We have to act in this. So should we pray about these kind of things? Absolutely. But it's not good enough. We can't be passive in this and just be like, God, would you kill the sin in me? Would you just put it to death? Help me to stop having these thoughts and these desires and these wants that are contrary to you. That's great. Start there. But we can't be passive and just wait for God to put them to death. What Paul calls us to, what God calls us to, is action. He says, put to death the deeds of your body. Put them to death. He says this in multiple other places. Let me read you two. Colossians 3, verses Uh, Really, one through five, verse one says, if you're raised with Christ, seek the things above. Verse two, set your mind, uh, set your minds, this is again that phrase, set your affections, and this is where he is calling us to this, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse five, put to death Therefore, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he goes on this list of those earthly sinful things in us. He says you, you are dead to self. You are dead to this world. You're dead to sin. You're alive to Christ. So put to death your sin put to death your sin. Galatians 5, another place that maybe you're familiar with this this passage where it's all about walking in the Spirit. Here's what Paul says here, verse number 16, but I say walk by the Spirit, the Spirit who is in you, this indwelling Spirit. Walk in accordance and obedience to the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against The Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. This is echoes of Romans 7 and 8 all over here. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 24, if you drop down there, those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Y'all listen, the work of, of cutting out and, and killing and putting to death sin in our life, like the, the stuff that we struggle with, this is 100% a work of the Spirit of God. He is the one who who kills these evil things and the sin within us. Like our righteousness, our goodness, our good deeds, our good works, our being a better person, our doing better, trying harder. None of that has the power to kill sin in our life. And yet, although this is a work of the Spirit, he says, I'm calling you to do something in this. You are not to be passive. You are the one who does this work in cooperation with me to put to death these sins in your life. Ephesians 6, verse number 7. This whole passage, we looked at Ephesians 6 like two years ago. We talked about spiritual warfare, where we're fighting against not flesh and blood, but against the enemy. Spiritual darkness in high places. And then when it comes to the end of this, the whole armor of God, he says, take up the sword of the what? The sword of the spirit, which is the what? The word of God. Paul says, listen, this is a work of the spirit, but you need to do battle. You need to take up the sword of the spirit, the weapon of the spirit, a spiritual weapon, the word of God. And by this sword, by this word, this is how you this is how you kill sin in your life. So some of you are like, man, I can't have victory over this thing, this sin in my life. What, have you picked up the sword of the Spirit? You can't leave this thing on the shelf or only open it on Sundays and expect for the flesh to die. It's not just going to wilt and, and, and die. You have to take the sword of the Spirit, the weapon of the Word of God, and put it to death. But here's the, the beautiful truth in all of this. If the Spirit is in you, you can win against sin. You have the power to win against sin. John Stott says this. Let me quote him one more time. He says, there is a kind of life which leads to death and a kind of death which leads to life. It's, again, the inward or the inverted way of the kingdom of God. According to Romans 8, it is only by putting our evil deeds to death that we experience the full life of God's children. So we need to redefine, this is so important, we need to redefine both life and death. What the world calls life, which is a desirable self-indulgence, just indulge yourself, do whatever feels good. What the world calls life leads to alienation from God, which in reality is death. Whereas the putting to death of all perceived evil within us, which the world sees as an undesirable self-denial, is in reality the way to authentic life. Did y'all catch that? You know what he's saying? Like man, the only way to truly live and experience the full life that God has for us is to not just keep pleasing ourselves and our flesh to like let that stuff remain in our life. Like it's like, like in the Song of Solomon talks about those little foxes that come in and spoil the vine. Like we don't allow that stuff to just kind of like sit in our life. No, we kill it. Only by putting those things to death do we get to experience full life. But the promise of Romans 8 is that if the Spirit is in you, you can win against sin. Amen? That's a good place for an amen. <laughs> you can win against sin. You need to know that. It's not because of your goodness. It's because of the spirit, the indwelling spirit within you. And so let me ask you this question. Are you actively seeking to put your sin to death? Are you actively seeking to mortify, to kill? Be killing sin... Or sin will be killing you. Are you actively seeking to do that? Y'all, this is why we do a Bible reading plan together. It's so that we can be engaged in the word of God. So that we can together have our noses in the book. The only thing that's going to set us free. The only thing that's going to kill sin in us. So how do we, let me just summarize all of this. How do we live a holy life? We need the spirit in us producing new affections and empowering us to win against sin. We need the Holy Spirit, y'all. Every single week we end uh, with a benediction. Y'all hopefully know, uh, are starting to know, we're two months out, so hopefully it's kind of getting ingrained in you. Uh, I did a little something this morning when we, at the end of the first service, when we read the benediction together, uh, I closed my eyes. and I was like, okay, let me test myself. Let me see if I can actually say Colossians 1, 28 and 29 uh, without looking at it on the screen." Uh, And uh, I, I did pretty good. I'm like a B plus, maybe or A minus. I did pretty well on that. I challenge you to try it. Um, Kids will be chattering. Nobody's gonna hear if you get it wrong or not. Um, Colossians one twenty eight and twenty nine. Let me let me read it to you uh, as we end. Uh, This is kind of our verse uh, benediction for the year. Him we proclaim. I'm not going not, not to try to do it out of memory, all right? It's right in front of me. We proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, all right? So I got it. Um. We're proclaiming Christ. I want you to pay attention to verse number 29. Uh, and, and I love this. And this, the reason we do this verse is because this is a benediction. This is a sending forth. Like we're sending one another out into our week, into our world. And I want the last thing that we're reminded of is the truth of verse number 29. Not just that we're pro- proclaiming Christ, but verse 29, for this I toil. This is like what I'm striving for. This is what I'm pushing for. This is what my life is all about, to proclaim Christ. But the last part, it says this, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Y'all, what do you think that's referring to, this energy that works within us? It's the spirit of God. The spirit of God, the indwelling, empowering spirit of God within you. This is the declaration we make over one another. We're proclaiming Christ, not in our own strength, not in our own power. Man, we do this, struggling, striving with all the energy that he powerfully works within. We have the Holy Spirit of God within us, empowering us to live in a holy way. Amen. So God, this morning, I just want to say thank you for the Holy Spirit, God, that you have given us, that you have sent to us. Lord, I just think of the promises of Jesus when he was getting ready to depart. He told those disciples, man, I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you a a comforter, a counselor who's going to help you, who's going to guide you, who's going to lead you, he's going to empower you to do all the things that I've called you to do. He's going to be the one who is going to lead you into all truth. The Spirit of God is going to dwell in you. He's the mark that you belong to me. God, I'm grateful that we have the blessing in our age to be recipients of the Holy Spirit. God, that you would see fit to take ownership of us, that even in our sin, that you would love us and send your Son for us. God, that you would mark your ownership of us by placing your Spirit, your Holy Spirit within us. thank you that we don't have to fight the fight against our sin, we don't have to struggle in our own power, in our own flesh, in our own own frailty, we have your spirit within us who gives us life, who produces life in us that we can never produce on our own. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that if if there's someone in here this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, that has never surrendered ownership of their life over to you, God, I pray that you would do a spiritual work that only your spirit can do in drawing that person and their heart to you. That You would change their heart. That you would reorient their affections toward you. That's a work that only you can do. So God, I ask that you would do that today. God, you are the one that has the power to mortify our sin. God, thank you that you have sent us your spirit to empower us to do that, to win in this fight against sin, to glorify you, to honor you. Lord, we all feel the frustration of Romans 7, but God, help us to stand firm in the truth of Romans 8 that we have your indwelling spirit that is so much more powerful than any indwelling sin that we face. And so, Lord, this morning, would you help us to actively, intentionally, purposefully, by your spirit, seek to put to death the sin that remains in us. God, help us in that. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. So help us to do that this morning and this week and in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.